We'll be reading from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul gives some very practical teaching about what it means to put on the new man. And specifically, he's going to address this issue, this emotion of anger. And I really believe we're, we're going to be able to pull out some, some beautiful truth from this text. So Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 26. Scripture says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your word. Your word is powerful. The scripture says that it's like a two-edged sword that cuts deep to who we are, dividing bone from marrow, thoughts from intentions of the heart, dividing soul from spirit. So God, we trust that your word wants to speak to us today, wants to cut deeply into who we are. Lord, we need to be challenged. We need to be changed in this area in particular. And so Lord Jesus, we're asking you to use your word to change our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. It seems to me that people are sitting on ready to be angry. Everywhere you look, somebody's just waiting for somebody to offend them. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I just decided we couldn't watch the news anymore because uh, watching people on split screens just yell at each other, was it was just, I don't know, getting me anxious, making me angry. I, I'd get mad. I'd would you just be quiet and let him talk? You know, I'm getting mad at the TV. I don't know if, if you feel that way, but um, I heard, uh, heard a story about an elderly couple been married a long, long time, and they were talking one evening about uh, the many fights they'd had over the years. And the wife, in a moment of deep humility and just honesty, she said to her husband, she said, Honey, I'm so sorry that I have blown up to you so many times over the years. How do you manage to stay so calm when I'm just explosive like that? He said, oh, it's easy. After you blow up at me, I I just go clean the toilet. She said, huh, that works? He said, yeah, I just clean it with your toothbrush. (laughs) Uh, So here's the crazy thing about the scriptures is the scripture actually doesn't tell us to not be angry. It tells us actually to be angry. That's an unusual command, isn't it? So if you're taking notes with us, the first thing I want you to take away is actually God says to be angry. Be angry. You know, uh, many of us probably grew up thinking that our angry feelings were bad or or maybe even sinful. The Bible actually commands anger. and, And here's the reality is that even God gets angry. We just finished the book of Jonah and in chapter four, uh, verse two, Jonah quotes this 
uh, amazing statement about the character of God. He says, um, for I knew that you are a gracious God. You are merciful and slow to anger, right? So talking about the character of God, he says, you get angry. Now, you may be slow getting there, but you get angry. So this, this should raise up a question in our hearts, right? If, if we tend to think anger is a bad thing, and let's be honest, we tend to do some dumb things in our anger, how can anger not be sinful? Let's dig into that for a moment. Some people think about an angry God and, and they don't want an angry God. All they want is a God of love. Right? You heard this? I don't want an angry God. I only want a God of love. And that sounds great, except it's impossible. And here's why. If you never get angry about anything, you don't really love anything. Because here's the bottom line. Anger exposes what you love. I want you to think about a moment of your own anger and think, what, what was it that made me really angry? And probably when we get to the bottom of that, what you'll discover is at the bottom, it's something you, something you love. Now, it may not be a good thing, but you love something, and when that something was threatened, it made you angry. When whatever you love is threatened, you get angry. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is. And hate, the ultimate form of hate, is actually indifference. So people want a God who's loving, but they want Him to be indifferent. And the reality of our God is the reason He is angry is because He is loving. God is angry because God is loving. So we see in the Scriptures that God gets angry. He, he, get, he got angry with Israel many times. God was angry about injustice if in Nineveh. If you remember Jonah chapter 1, God's, God, the evil of Nineveh rose up to God and in His anger He, he was going to deal with it. He was angry about the idolatry in the golden, of the golden calf at the foot of the mountain. God was angry about the constant complaints of His people in the wilderness. God was angry that they complained that all He sent was bread from heaven. God's anger is good because it's rooted in righteous love. I want us to get a grip on that because there is a way and the Scripture is commanding us to be angry, but the caveat is it's got to be rooted in a righteous love. This is where we have a problem. But let's just look at Jesus um, to illustrate the point. Jesus got angry. We can see several times in the New Testament Jesus got angry. He was angry in Matthew 21 when uh, the money changers were were uh, making a profit off selling sacrifices in the temple. And he, you know the story, he flipped the tables and sent them, sent them running. He was angry in Matthew 21. In Mark chapter 3, um, the Pharisees challenged Jesus. Um, they were watching Him to see if He was going to heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day because they loved their rules more than they loved people. And Jesus, when He discerned that in their heart, the Bible says He was indignantly angry. Now, is that anger a sin? No, it's not because it's rooted in righteous love. So maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not an angry person. 
I, I usually stay very calm. I don't, I don't blow up on anyone. I don't, I don't flip tables and throw stuff. I, well, your personality may keep you from exploding from anger. Mine has a tendency to get a bit explosive. But you may be a more quiet type. But the reality is there's a, there's a fire burning within each of us of anger. Maybe it's, maybe it's flaming up like mine. Or maybe it's more like the embers that's just hot coals that still dangerous can still do some damage. The Bible actually commands us to be angry, but it warns us, secondly, do not sin. This is straight from the text, right? Ephesians 4.26, it's just this first phrase. Be angry and do not sin. So anger in itself is not sinful. Anger actually reveals what we love. So how does our anger go wrong? Well, it goes wrong when we have misplaced or disordered loves. When we love the wrong things, we get angry about the wrong things. It's a wrong kind of anger. So I want us to consider two factors with our angers. Um, we, we tend to deny or hide our anger. We tend to deny or hide our anger. And what we really need to do, uh, the reason I've got the shovel today is that we need to dig into the why. So I'm going to just talk for a moment about two factors of your anger. This is the way you ought to think about it. What's the cause? And then what's the effect? And there's really two ways we can, we can sin in our anger. We can sin in the cause. What's, what's the root? What's at the bottom of making me angry? And then when I'm angry, what do I do with that? You know, Do I say something that I regret? Do I hit somebody or something and I regret... So the effect, so cause is at the root, effect is the fruit. And in both areas, you can really find yourself to sin in your anger. So let's talk for a minute about the cause. Um, We get angry and we deal with it on the surface. Like we think about it in terms of um, how to... I got angry, so I, man, I need to put a Band-Aid on that sore. And what I'm trying to get us to do today is to dig deeper from the symptom and dig deeper into what's really the sickness. Okay, That's what we're doing when we talk about cause. So maybe some moments that you feel angry would be moments like this. Well, that jerk, he cut me off in traffic. Does that, does that get to anybody? Like, yeah, it gets me, right? Um, I especially love it when they cut me off only to put on a blinker and turn, right? You know, like, why couldn't you wait till I got past you? You know, you had to get over and hit the brakes and turn. Uh, but I get angry about that. What's the cause? Well, why are you getting in front of me? You should get behind me. I'm more important. Mm. Or what about she snubbed me on social media? It makes, makes me look like an idiot. Maybe I commented and somebody, you know, threw something out there and whatever. People get so hot on social media that it's, uh, it's ridiculous. But really, um, it's because it's still all about me, right? Or what about my work goes unappreciated? I've been working my tail off for this company and he got my promotion. Mm. My ideas get disregarded and I'm unappreciated. That happens a lot. What about this? This one's close to home. My husband doesn't even notice what I do around here. I don't think he's said anything about 
all the work I put in in weeks. Or, my wife has no interest in intimacy, but she's all about that Instagram. These things hurt, right? And there's some real emotions that come out of it. When we dig a little deeper, we might get uh, to the bottom of some of that. I had a conversation this week. Tucker and I were talking about it. Tuck, you want to... Come here, man. Um, So Tucker and I were talking about this this week. We went and spoke to uh, a couple of schools this week for FCA. We worked with uh, Fellowship Christian Athletes to go talk to teams. And this was our topic for the week. And uh, we just got to talking about it in the car. And I said, Tucker, what's something that makes you angry? And he said, uh, Call of Duty. <laughs> he gets angry with his video game, playing, playing Call of Duty. If he, uh, what, what makes you angry? Um, usually not as much anymore as it used to. But So kind of a bad story is I wanted to be a pro. Um, <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, but before I met Jesus, I wanted to be a professional. And I, my parents convinced, like I quit baseball. But uh, the reason I get so mad is because uh, I didn't like when I was getting beat. Like I didn't like when people were better than me or thought mm. they were better than me. Okay. He didn't like to lose. Why? Uh, I didn't want, like I said, I didn't want people to think they were better than me. Okay. He didn't want people to think they were better. Why? Because I wanted to be the best. I wanted everybody to know that I was the best. Because you wanted people to think you were the best. Why? Uh, because I love myself. <laughs> I wanted, like, it would get to a point where people would, I would text or message people and let them know that they weren't better than me. Okay. So, like, yeah, uh, I think it was really, really because I, I, want, I loved myself and wanted everyone to know that I was good and I wanted everyone to know that I could uh, beat them. Okay, so when you lost, that love felt threatened and you got angry. Angry, yeah. Thanks. Y'all give Tucker a hand. Okay. So this is the point. And you may not can connect with video games because you may not play video games. But the truth of that scenario, the dig into the why, is true for all of us, isn't it? When we dig and we get to the bottom, here's what we find. Is that we get angry when the thing we're looking for significance or satisfaction or security feels threatened. The thing that you love... When it gets threatened, and in this case, Tucker finally got to the bottom, which was, you know, I I really love myself. I want people to think I'm good at this game. And all of a sudden, I'm getting beaten. Now people aren't going to think I'm good at this game. And that makes me angry. And the why is because it's rooted in a love. Now, it's not a good love. It's a sinful love. J.D. Greer says that anger is a destructive energy in defense of something you love. I think it's really true. Anger is a destructive energy in defense of something you love. And when you get angry to defend your ego, it's not godly anger. It's sinful anger. Jeremiah 45, 5. It's a um, really pungent verse. I like it in the old King James. Listen to what it says. Seekest thou great things for yourself? Seek them not. <laughs> I love that. Seekest thou great things for yourself? Seek them not. I think that's really a great verse. All right, so that's the cause. We've got to the bottom now. Our anger is a destructive emotion 
defending something we love. Now, what's the effect? So not only can the cause of anger be an issue for us, but the effect can be a real problem as well. What you do or what you say in your anger, even if it's a good anger, can be sin. Um, illustration I used this week with uh, the athletes was I was talking about my, my middle daughter, Reagan. When I go to pick my kids up from school, I want you to imagine I'm going through the, the drive through line, to, the car rider line to pick up the kids. And as I pull through, here comes my little curly-headed blonde kid. She's trotting out. And all of a sudden, this 10-year-old fourth grader comes behind and grabs that curly blonde hair and jerks her to the ground and starts kicking her. How does daddy feel? Daddy feels angry, right? And I want to tell you something. My anger in the moment is rooted in a really good love. I love my daughter. You're not going to do that to my daughter. I'm, I'm her father. I'm going to protect my baby, right? That's a good love. But if I go over and punch a 10-year-old, that's a bad effect. That's a bad decision, Dad, right? So a good anger can actually have really bad effect if we don't have good control over it. Some of the Proverbs we read earlier, I hope they sunk into your heart. I want to reiterate them. Proverbs 16.32 speaks to this idea of keeping righteous anger from blowing up into unrighteous activity. Here's what it says. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules is better than he who takes a city. So to rule your spirit, it's better than to conquer a city. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. I want you to know that the Bible's prescription for your anger is not no anger, right? It's slow anger. This is what we see of the Lord is that he is slow in getting angry and then he's actually slow in expressing his anger. And at each phase, he's under control. The Lord is not explosive. He doesn't just blow up in anger and lose his cool and hit a wall or something, you know. The idea here is control. It's not just maintaining control but submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit's control. I've seen some folks, and even myself, have totally lost my cool. I have exploded on some people, and then afterward, I feel like such a fool. Anybody been there? You know why you feel like a fool? Because you were one. <laughs> That's why. Uh, Proverbs 29.11 says this, A fool gives vent to his spirit. But a wise man quietly holds it back. When it comes to our anger, the Lord says, I want you to be angry, but be like me. Slow to anger. The Bible tells us to be angry and do not sin. And then if you look back at God's word, there's some additional warnings. Look at God's word there. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Do not let the sin go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, when I was first married, I was determined that we were going to obey this passage. 
So if we'd had an argument and there was some tension in the air in our marriage, I thought, hey, we're about to go to bed. We're going to deal with this. Uh, and we had a lot of sleepless nights. That was pretty much the end of it. I mean, we, we didn't, we, well, I didn't rest well. Somehow she slept like a baby. <laughs> but I thought that I thought the, the, this passage meant we're supposed to fight this thing out and get some resolution. And it, maybe that's a good practice if you're able to do that well. But I think it has a deeper meaning. Here's what this scripture means. It means more than just deal with it before the sun goes down. It means um, don't hold on to your anger. Don't hold on to it from one day to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, And here's what we alluded to at the beginning is that when you hold on to your anger, you're actually issuing a sentence of punishment on the person with whom you're angry. What you're doing when you hold a grudge is that you're playing judge. When you hold your anger from one day to the next, it's like you're trying to put that person in the prison of your emotion. What actually happens is you end up in the prison of your emotion. When you hold a grudge, you're trying to be the judge. And so while with, with the cause, when we dug into the cause of our anger, we found a kind of idolatry that God abhors, which is, I love myself. <clears throat> when we hold on to our anger, even if it's righteous in its intent, when we hold it as a grudge, we find a different kind of idolatry, which says, God, I can't trust you to take care of this. I got to be the judge here. I can't trust you to handle this thing. I'm going to be the judge. I've got to hold on to this anger. I'm going to keep it for myself. And the Apostle Paul here is warning us that he, he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger. He's warning us to not play the judge. Again, I'm reminded of Jonah's anger in chapter 4. Do you remember the dialogue between God and Jonah in chapter 4? God Asked Jonah several times, um, is it right that you're angry? That's such a good question. Is it right that you're angry? Because God is digging when he asks that question. He's getting to the cause and to the effect of Jonah's anger. Is it right? Are you righteous in your anger? I want to tell you there's three, uh, three ways from this text. That you can determine whether or not you have a sinful anger or a loving anger. Sinful anger or loving anger. Three uh, quick aspects of loving anger. You're going to want to write these down. Three quick aspects of loving anger. anger. First, loving anger is redemptive, not vindictive. Loving anger is redemptive, not vindictive. So many times we think in our anger, I need, to, I need to get vengeance. I need to make this thing right. And that's what Jonah's issue was. He didn't feel like that Nineveh should be forgiven. He, he wanted vengeance. The proverb we read a moment ago deals with that in our hearts of vengeance. This is Proverbs 24, 28 and 29. says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive with your lips. Verse 29, listen to this. Do not say in your heart, 
I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. There's a difference between vengeance and justice. And because we usually can't handle them, we just have to let it go and let God take care of it. So loving anger is redemptive, not vindictive. From the text, where I get that is verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is building up. Redemptive. We're into building up. The problem with most of our anger is its effect is a teardown effect. God's effect is a building up effect. In God's anger, He is building up. Redemptive, not Vindictive. Secondly, loving anger is short-lived. It's short-lived. Even though God's anger is slow, He's slow to get angry. He's slow to express His anger. When God expresses it, He's done with it. It's short-lived. Even at the cross, the ultimate impact of the anger and wrath of God. Right? At the cross of Jesus Christ. That is God's wrath for our sin being poured out. But on the cross, Jesus said what? It is finished. That meant His wrath has been handled. It's done. It's finished. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing for us to be able to get to the point with our anger where we say, you know what? Done. It's finished. It's behind me. There's no more anger coming out over that Thing. It is finished. The Lord Jesus um, displays this in Matthew 21. And you go, how? I mean, how is that on display? Well, you can check this out later. But in Matthew 21, when Jesus flips the tables and he runs off all the money changers in the temple, he runs them out. They're all done. And then the very next thing in the text is all the vulnerable people come to Jesus. Those who need healing, those who are poor, the sick. Now, if Jesus' anger were unfinished, would they have come to him? No, they'd have been like, y'all, Jesus is in a mood. You don't want to mess with him right now? He is fiery mad. Leave him alone for a little bit. No, Jesus flipped the tables and that anger was finished. And then he turns and with great compassion, he heals the sick. He teaches and he issues love. His anger is short lived. How many of us, no show of hands here, in your heart, do you have long lasting anger? If you can't be honest, ask your spouse. Thirdly, loving anger is controlled. It's controlled. The Word of God says here to be kind to one another, tender-hearted. This is in the context of anger. Be kind, be tender-hearted in the context of, of a battle with anger. He says, don't put off wrath, put off slander, put off malice. All of those ways that you attack one another, that vicious like just slinging stuff around like the, um, what was that cartoon that was a little tornado? That, who was that? The Tasmanian Devil. How many of you are like that in your anger? Just, I'm just going to kill whoever's in my path. This anger, this loving anger is a controlled anger. It's not like that. It's very precise. They put it this way. It's surgical. Surgical. 
The love of God and his anger is surgical. He doesn't come in with a chainsaw. Yeah, we're going to deal with that sin issue. You know, he comes in with the surgeon's blade. This is going to hurt. Let's go for it. And loving anger is like that. It's not violent, not aggressive. It's not Tasmanian devil. It's not dangerous. It's deliberate. And I want to tell you, um, the way that Jesus does that is that he gets angry about the sickness. It's the sickness, not the symptom. So when Jesus comes to address it, he's addressing the roots, the sickness. He's addressing the sin. Jesus has a way of hating the sin and still loving the sinner. And we need to learn a lot from him. So today, if you're holding a grudge, if you are clinging tightly to anger, or maybe you have been very aggressive with your anger or you've been Tasmanian devil type and you just can't control your mouth. You've been violent with your words. What I want you to know is that the gospel has an answer for you. And the gospel for me brings healing to our problem. The gospel of grace meets the dangers of anger. Thirdly, the gospel of grace meets the dangers of anger. Look where Paul takes us in the last part of this passage. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and then this, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. All these explosive expressions of anger, wrath. Slander, malice, all these things are brought into submission when we believe the gospel. So what is the gospel again? Just, let's just use our summary we talked about last week. What is the gospel again? It's that bad people can be made right with a good God through Jesus Christ. And what we're told is that freedom from the prison of anger is only found in the In the giving of grace. To forgive. Now here's the thing. This command is impossible. I want you to think about how hard it is. Maybe go in your mind to to a moment when you've been, you just blown, like you've blown your top. And you're furious. How hard is it in, in that moment for you to flip the switch and just go, you know what? I forgive you because Christ forgave me. (laughs) That's hard, isn't it? I would say impossible, which is why we've got to back up and we've got to surrender to Christ now. Surrender our emotions now. Be determined beforehand now that what we're going to do is we're going to Forgive Rather than explode, we're going to give grace. That doesn't mean that we avoid issues. doesn't mean that there's not a place for righteous anger. No, there, there sometimes is. 
Absolutely, there's sometimes a place for righteous anger, and, and we have an obligation to that. In fact, uh, John Chrysostom, he's a, uh, a church father, came right after St. Augustine. Here's what he said. He said, uh, I'm going to misquote him. He said, He that is angry without cause sins. But he who is not angry when there is righteous cause also sins. So I don't want you to hear me saying to you today that it's wrong to be angry. The Bible says to be angry. But be angry about a righteous love. Because you love what God loves, the things that God hates are going to anger you. And they should. But when you're loving the wrong things, just know that that anger is a sinful anger. It's not, it's not God's anger. And then what you do with your anger, it matters. How you act in your anger. You can either sin or not sin. So how does the gospel meet you there? Four quick gospel realities. What we said is that bad people can be made right with a good God through Jesus Christ. Here, here's how that fleshes out. First of all, you're not going to like this. I don't either, but here's the reality. You are a bad person. I am a bad person. We are bad people. When you're not believing the gospel, what you do is you think like Jonah did. What he thought is they are bad people. And what God was dealing with in Jonah chapter 4 is, "Mm, yeah, they're bad. So are you. Your heart is desperately wicked. So here's what we need to learn is that we are first sinners and second sinned against. We are first sinners, second sinned against. The way that helps us is that we are able to think in the context of what Ephesians 4 teaches. That we're able to forgive as Christ forgives us. We have to think back, okay, I'm actually a bad person. That I needed grace. God gave me grace even though I didn't deserve it. This person has offended me. They don't deserve grace, but because I've received grace, I can give grace. They are a bad person. They have done a bad thing. But you know what? I am a bad person and God has forgiven me. And because of that, I can now forgive them. We're first sinners and second sinned against. I cannot hold over you what God is not holding over me. Secondly, you can be made right, but only by God. Only God can make people right. That's the gospel, right? Um, Bad people can be made right. Only God can do that. So here's how the gospel speaks to our anger. You think that your being angry is actually going to fix them. Don't be deceived. It's not. Only God can fix them. Only God can fix you. So let's just confess this. I cannot fix anyone else. I can only trust God for myself. You can be made right, but only by God. And the same for that other person who may have offended you. Thirdly. God is good and worthy of your trust. Remember, bad people can be made right with a good God. God is good and He's worthy of your trust. You don't have to hold on to your anger. You don't have to hold a grudge and play judge. We have a judge 
And he's a good judge. He took all sin, past, present, future sin, poured out his wrath for sin on his son. He's a good judge. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He dealt with it finally. And the Lord says in Scripture, vengeance is mine. I will repay. What he's saying is let it go. Let me be judge. You be you. Let me be judge. God is good. He's worthy of our trust. So we need to confess my vengeance will not heal this. His justice and his grace will. And then lastly, bad people can be made right by a good God through Jesus Christ So lastly, we confess that Jesus Christ took all sin, all my sin. He died on my cross and he rose from my grave. I've been set free by grace. He's graciously forgiven my offense. So now having received this grace, I can give it to those who anger me. Having received this grace, I can give it to those who anger me. I want us to respond really with with two things this morning. I feel like the Lord's word is faithful and true and strong. So I want to encourage you in two ways to respond to this word today. First, you need to let go of your anger. It will not fix the problem. So you need to trust that God is a better judge than you are. Surrender your sinful anger. Surrender it and extend forgiveness. I want you to think for a moment. Maybe just close your eyes and just really reflect. Is there someone? And it may not take you long. You may have somebody. You've been thinking about them this whole message. Is there someone that I'm holding a grudge against right now? Is there someone that I am angry at right now? And so today, you need to let go of that. Today, you need to get on your knees before God. Leave that sinful anger at His feet. It's killing you. That kind of anger is like drinking poison hoping that they die. God wants to set you free. From that. So I say to us today, believe the gospel and let it go. And secondly, maybe you're in this room and anger is a problem and it's a real problem. And there's no way you can flip this switch because you've never received the forgiveness that Christ offers. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you've done some things that you just can't forgive yourself. And I want you to hear a message of grace today. Be forgiven of your sin. Be forgiven. There's a lot of words, Greek words used in the New Testament for the word forgive. The one I love the most that's used most frequently is the word afiemi. And it means to separate. Here's what I love. When God forgives, He separates you from your sin. Separates you from it. The word afiemi is sometimes used for divorce. 
And what it literally means is you might have been married with your sin. You might have been one flesh. Like you might have been an adulterer or you might have been a a porn addict or you might have been a liar, a thief or whatever. That might have been your identity. But God in His grace separates you from your sin. He says that's no longer who you are. You're a child of God. I'm forgiving you. You have a new identity in Christ. And I want to tell you, be forgiven. You cannot release your own anger until you realize that God is your judge and that He's already done everything needed to punish your sin. Everything. He sent Jesus to suffer in your place. The perfect Son of God has died in your place. And He has risen from the dead to offer you true forgiveness. So receive God's gift of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Receive that today. And if you've never become a Christian, that's what it's all about. It's all about trusting in God to forgive you of your sin. And because He's done that, church, as an angry people, we don't have to be angry anymore. We can be grace people. So as the Lord has dealt with you and with me, let's just respond to Him today. As we pray and the musicians come, I want to encourage you. Maybe you need to find some time right now on your knees. So there's an altar here behind me. There's a prayer area over here. And if you just need to meet with God and say, God, I, I lay it down. I've been mad at Him for so long and I'm just done being the judge. I need to be set free. Trust the Gospel. Be set free. Maybe today you're not a believer, but you want to put your faith in Christ that He can separate you from your sin.